Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All righty, we're going to do a lot of work in God's Word today. And let me just tell you, there are two basic ways to view God's Word. One is like this. What's this? What's this? Not a trick question. It's an, it's an implement of sadness. It's a mirror. You look into it. And what does the mirror show? What does the mirror show? The mirror shows me, shows me. There are times that we need to open God's word and say, okay, God, what do you have to say about me? What are you revealing to me? What are you correcting, instructing, directing in me? There are other times that we open the Bible. We got to open it like this. What's this? Binoculars. And through these, I see, I see you. I see you. Um, As we open God's word today, we're going to talk a lot about relationships. And I want you to know that when we open the Bible, the first thing is it has to be a mirror. God, what are you saying to me and about me? And then it has to be binoculars. God, what are you saying about them and my relationship with them? Otherwise, one of two things happen. Some of you, it's only and always a mirror. So you have painful relationships and you just keep thinking, what's wrong with me? Well, maybe there's something wrong with them. You've got to look at them as well. How many of you though, let's just be honest, you you open the Bible and you're like, yeah, I see all their problems and there's no mirror. It's just binoculars. Yes. What I don't want you to do is take this sermon and say, oh, this is good for Tony and Sally and Jack. First, it's good for you. So our view is first we open the word of God as a mirror and, and then we use it as binoculars. So if you you hear this sermon and you think, this is a really good sermon for someone else, it's for you, okay? It's for you, it's for you, and then it's for them. And we're gonna talk about relationships. We say here that we open our Bibles to learn and we open our lives to love. So really the two pedals on our bike, Bible teaching and relationships, that's our whole thing. Today, we're gonna open the Bible to learn. We're gonna open our lives to have loving, healthy relationships. And the sociologists will tell us that the average person during the course of a year has interaction with between 500 and 2,500 different people, okay? So just look at your life. How many of you would be on the lower end of the scale? You're introverts, you're not highly relational, you're not even paying attention, you're on your phone, but you guys, you guys are lower end. How many of you would be in the upper end? You're extroverts, teachers, you're in ministry, you're a Walmart greeter, you're you're just dealing with a lot of people, okay? Between 500 and 2,500 different interactions we have with various people throughout the course of a year, that's a lot of relationships. And then the experts will tell us that we spend upwards of 40% of our time with the same five people, okay? So how many of you, you've got a spouse and a couple of kids? Well, the bottom Lego block for your life is full, right? That's your relational capacity is largely filled. Some of you have a larger relational capacity, but the average person spends 40% of their time with the same five people. We tend to spend a lot of time and energy in our relationships. Today, I wanna pull back and work on our relationships and look at our relationships. And we're gonna do so by looking at the life of Jesus and how he did relationships. And you think of it, he had tens of thousands of people that would show up to hear him preach. 
He has enemies who are harassing him and wanting to harm him. He has family, mom, dad, brothers, sisters. He's got his disciples. He's got all kinds of people, some healthy, some unhealthy. And he's even got people who are demon possessed that are following him around, wanting to have a relationship with him. So how does Jesus maintain emotional and relational health with people who are not always emotional or relationally healthy? And so what we're gonna do today, we're gonna look at relationships in general and we're gonna do a deep dive. First thing I wanna jump into is eight laws of relationships. And, and the first I will call the law of hospitality. And here's what I would say, be friendly toward all, but friends with a few, okay? Was Jesus friendly toward all people? Yeah, tons of people loved Jesus, but was he friends with all people? No, he was friendly toward all. You need to be friendly toward all and friends with a few. So Jesus has lots of people that have relationships with him, but it is two sisters and a brother that are some of his closest friends. Their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He eats at their home. He stays overnight at their home. He has a very warm, close friendship with these two sisters and brothers. Now with this, he doesn't do this with everybody. I mean, I've studied the Bible for 20 some years. You don't find a lot of times that Jesus stays the night at somebody's house or goes over for dinner or happens to be in town and just drops by, right? He's, he's got a close friendship with those three friendly toward all, friends with a few. You don't have to be rude, you don't have to be mean, you can be friendly toward all, friends with a few. The law of capacity is that you and I as human beings, we have finite time and energy and resources. A relationship, a close warm relationship, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes money, it takes a lot of investment for that relationship to have a positive net account. And so we're finite, right? Jesus, he had capacity limits. There are times that he would withdraw and be alone because he was just worn out. He couldn't handle any more relationships. There are times that he took a day off or took a nap because he was just a bit overwhelmed and overcome. And we look in the Bible that Jesus meets with some people. He doesn't meet with all people. He heals some people, but he doesn't heal all people. He ministers to some people. He doesn't minister to all people. That's the law of capacity. There's only so much you can do. Uh, the law of priority, this is that there are different lanes. This is my analogy. And if you're trying to take notes, it's impossible. I speak at the same pace as an auctioneer. And my goal is always to get one year's content in a sermon. Okay, that's always my goal. So you will not be able to take notes, but it's all in this book, Spirit-Filled Jesus. You get a free copy. You get what you pay for, lower your expectations, but it's all in there. So you can just enjoy the sermon. If you want to take notes, that's fine. No judgment, but it's impossible. You'll get carpal tunnel and we'll pray for you afterward for healing, but you're not gonna keep up. I'm just telling you that right now. Nonetheless, law of priority is that in your life, there are different lanes. This is how I see it. I was driving into a church today. Let's say your enemies are here, strangers are here, former you know, acquaintances are here, uh, really distant relatives are here, closer family is here, um, your friend group is here, your kids are here, your spouse is here. There's different lanes of relationship. And, and the law of priority means that some people you do life closer with than others, okay? You just, that's how it is going to work. So again, Jesus knows a lot of people, but he has a relationship with Peter, James, and John that is closer than his other relationships. They're with him at strategic moments of his life and ministry. They have particular access to him. They are a 
priority. And so what happens in the law of priority, you know that you are violating the law of priority when you experience something called jealousy. So I'm gonna ask you a trick question. Is jealousy good or bad? Yes, okay, that's the answer. It depends on what kind of jealousy. How many of you, single gals, you've had a guy who was a jealous boyfriend and that was unhealthy. Now he's a jealous ex-boyfriend, okay? But that was unhealthy jealousy, but there is a healthy jealousy because in the Bible, God says that he is a jealous God. What jealousy means, it's a violation of the law of priority. Somebody's in my place, right? I'm jealous because somebody's in my place. God gets jealous when someone or something is in his place. So again, if a single gal is dating a guy and he doesn't love Jesus and, and the gal does love Jesus and she says, I'm not gonna walk with God and read my Bible and pray and go to church anymore so I could be with my boyfriend. God says, I'm jealous because you put him in my place. You put him in my place. This is where um, sometimes, I'll just uh, pick on the men, um, we're with our wife, we're with our kids, and all of a sudden the technology violates the law of priority. How many of you have seen this, right? Some of you are like, yeah, we're having dinner and the phone rings. And they answer, it's like, hey, no, this is our family time. Or it's date night and the phone rings and all of a sudden your spouse is gone or the game is on and all of a sudden the conversation goes away. And some of you know exactly what this feels like and others of you don't, because right now you're on your phone checking the score of a football game. So I'm talking to you, okay? But it's a violation of the law of priority. Hey, that's my place, that's my place. The law of seasonality is that most relationships are for a season, not for a lifetime. So Jesus has kids that he grows up with in Nazareth, small town, maybe a hundred people. As we look at him in his 30s as a grown man, there's not a lot of relationships from his childhood that are pulled into his adulthood. His cousin John is there, his family is there, but we don't hear about his lifelong best friend. We don't hear about a lot of those relationships. And part of the pain that happens is once we have a relationship, we're trying to drag every past relationship into the future, right? And many of you have moved here and you're trying to take all of your past relationships and then you're trying to make new relationships and you're reaching the law of capacity because you're violating the law of seasonality. You're like, I love you. We had a close friendship, but uh, you know, life has transitioned or things have changed. How many of you have in recent years picked up your high school annual? I, I found mine recently and you read it and it's like, you are my best friend. You changed my life. We are best friends forever. And I'm like, who, who is that? <laughs> it's like, it's Tony. Okay, Tony, Tony. I'm looking at Tony's picture. I'm like, I have no idea who. And so Tony, if you're watching, I apologize. I, I don't know who you are and I don't think we're best friends forever. Um, that, that there's a law of seasonality, right? Uh, the next law is the law of safety. Love all trust few. Love is free, trust is earned. You get that? The law of safety. Not everyone is safe. Not everyone is safe. Love all, trust few. Love is free, trust is earned. When the kids were little, now my kids are bigger, um, sometimes well-meaning people would come up to us at church and say, total strangers, and say, 
you know, you got five kids, looks like you're tired, you and your wife are on zone defense, you need help. Well, I agree with that. Could, how about if I come over and I babysit your kids? And I would say, no, because, and I had one woman just go, you don't trust me? I said, no, I don't know you. As a general rule, I don't trust strangers. If you came up and said, hey, could I keep an eye on your credit cards? I wouldn't go, well, sure, I trust you. I value my kids more than my credit card, so I would no more hand my child to a stranger than I would my credit card. It's the law of safety. It's the law of safety. The law of clarity. The law of clarity is what happens is that different people are in different lanes of relationship, and some people will want to transition. And they'll want to, so I was thinking about it driving here today. I was in my lane, and there was someone in the next lane, and they wanted to be in my lane. Okay, and out of love for them, Christian love, I informed them that that was not something I was willing to accept, okay? Okay, so if you're at the Trinity Church, if that was you, I apologize, but it was your fault, okay? So they're trying to change lanes. It's like, hey, no, 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 you stay in your lane, I stay in my lane. Relationships are like lanes. Sometimes people will turn their blinker on and they'll be like, I wanna change lanes. I wanna have a different relationship. Right? The law of clarity is, no, 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 this is our relationship, not that. So how many of you single people, you're friends with someone, they turn their blinker on like, let's get married. You're like, hey, 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 hung, hung, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. No merging over, right? You need to, in fact, you need to get off the freeway. You need to pull over, right? The law of clarity is defining for people what the relationship is. And the way that we do this, um, two things that I'll, I'll give you, transition talks and close your conversations. Transition talks are where we had a relationship, things are changing, we need to define this, okay? Jesus had this with a guy named Peter. Jesus and Peter were close friends. Jesus did life with Peter, loved Peter for three years. And when Jesus needed him most, Peter abandoned him. He literally said, I don't know, Jesus, he's gonna die, I'm out. And he literally abandoned the friendship. Well, Jesus dies, Jesus rises, Jesus returns, and he schedules a transition talk with Peter. Uh, Peter, we had, a, we had a relationship and we were supposed to love each other and I loved you and you didn't love me and I was there for you and you weren't there for me. And so if we're gonna have a relationship going forward, it's gonna be like this. He had a transition talk. And so he, Peter denied him three times. So Jesus asked him three times, do you, do you love me? Hey, Peter, do, do you love me or not? Because if you don't love me, this relationship is going to change. You can't be one of my closest friends who doesn't love me. That's not gonna work. Peter, in that transition talk, they effectively exercise the law of clarity. Jesus is like, uh, if we're gonna have a relationship, it's gonna be based on love and we're not gonna do this anymore. And Peter said, you know what, I'm in. Peter did change, that relationship was restored. That's a transition talk, okay? Like we need to talk about this. This relationship isn't healthy or good. Either it needs to be like this or we need to change lanes. There are also closure conversations. A closure conversation is a talk to never talk again. Jesus had this talk with who? Judas Iscariot. Judas was a pretend friend. Judas stole from Jesus for three years, was opened himself up to Satan to murder Jesus. What Jesus didn't do is go meet with Judas and say, 
I'll do anything it takes to keep this relationship. What he says is you need to go do what you're gonna do. I don't bless that, I don't want that, I'm not advocating that. But if you do that, you do it alone, I'm not involved. This is where we part company and part ways. That's a closure conversation. It's a talk to never talk again. It's saying, you know what? We were going to get married, but then you cheated on me or uh, hit me. So you know what? You go your way, I go mine, we're done now. We're, we're not getting married, the engagement's off. We're in business together. Man, you really ripped me off. I forgive you, I want good for you, but I am not doing business with you. We now, we now have closure. And let me say this, two things that make this conversation very hard is number one, having it with family, okay? It's coming up on the holidays and some of you are like, I know, I moved to Arizona to get away from my family and now they come and visit and they ruin everything, okay? Now I know that's not you, but maybe you know someone that this sounds familiar to. Because sometimes what happens in a family, we have rules for our relationships, there's best practices, but certain family members always get to be the exception to the rule. You're like, we can't have a transition talk like, um, Uncle Jack, you can't get drunk at Christmas and yell at my kids. Well, come on, man, we're family. You gotta hang together. Family sticks together. Blood is thicker than what, you know. What that means is certain unhealthy people get to renegotiate the terms for a relationship because they're family. And if you're looking at it saying, I would never accept this unless they were family, then maybe you shouldn't accept it. Just something to pray about. Okay, now this is hard though because certain families will exert great pressure saying, we just need to do whatever it takes to hold the family together, including accommodating a lot of evil and or dysfunction. Sometimes you need to have the transition talk or tragically the closure conversation even with a family member. The other conversation that is hard to have is with someone who has pivoted poorly, meaning you thought they were wise, and we'll get into this in the sermon, but they became foolish or evil. Um, I'll give you a painful analogy. There was a couple that were married as Christians, and they became good friends with another couple who were Christians, and the husband all of a sudden come to find he was very covert, had a girlfriend on the side, ran off with the other woman, abandoned the wife and the kids, and then he still wanted to have a relationship with the other couple where instead of double dating with he and his wife, they would double date with he and his girlfriend. What's the answer? No, we side with the victim. You, you, you abandon your wife and children. Because of your behavior, the relationship is changed. The relationship is changed. And this man was offended. He's like, I thought you were my friends. And they're like, we wanna have godly, healthy relationships and that is not a godly or healthy relationship. It's, it's the law of clarity. This is the lane we're driving in and maybe we don't drive together anymore. The law of idolized demonize is um, beware of people who immediately love you so much. You're amazing. I've never met anyone like you. Finally. I've met the one I've been waiting for, right? Six minutes later, they stab you in the liver. That's how it always goes. 
because their life doesn't have a dimmer switch. It's on or off, I love you or I hate you. The idol, it got cold in here and the AC is not on. <laughs> How many of you have had somebody that immediately they were all about you and then they were all against you? It's because they're wanting you to be in the place of Jesus. You will save me, heal me, fix me, you failed me. Therefore, I'll crucify you. Jesus came and there was a crowd that shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. It quickly turned into the mob that was shouting, crucify, crucify. Take time to build your relationships. Beware of flatterers and those who feel like they're drowning and see you as a life preserver. And the law of economy. Relationships are like cars. How many of you drove a car here today that gets good gas mileage, okay? How many of you are like me? You don't drive those kinds of cars. I've had four full-size Chevy trucks, two Suburbans, two Jeep Wranglers, one Jeep Cherokee, and a Toyota Land Cruiser. What do they all have in common? Horrible gas mileage, okay? Some relationships get good gas mileage. Some relationships get bad gas mileage. Okay, the, the good relationships that are healthy and get good gas mileage, it's like the relationship is rolling downhill. The bad relationships that get, that get bad gas mileage, it's like you're driving uphill, okay? What I mean is this, I've got a friend of mine, he's one of my nearest and dearest friends. He's busy, I'm busy, he's got a family, I got a family. Sometimes we'll talk a lot, sometimes we'll take a, you know, there'll be a gap but we always pick up where we left off. I love him, he's, he's a great guy. I talked to him yesterday, he's got some stuff he's working through, give me a call. And there, we just pick up right where we left off and just get such good gas mileage. Like, man, it's easy to be this guy's friend. It's easy to do life with he and his family. There are others. It's like, man, all the time and energy and money, it feels like we keep running out of gas. You can tell you've got a relationship like this when, when you go to be with that person, you're like, okay, I gotta prepare myself to see them. Like I need to hydrate, I need to get a snack, I need to pray, I need a nap, I need a Valium, I need an escape plan, <sighs> right? I need a cup, I need a helmet. Okay, now I'm ready for the meeting. And then after the meeting, you're like, I am just gonna go to bed. I am so tired, oh gosh. And they text you, it's like, awesome, when do we do it again? Never, 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 <laughs> never. <laughs> Jesus' relationship with Peter, Peter was a guy that for a long time, they got bad gas mileage. Peter's denying him, cussing him out, telling him what to do. I mean, John is Jesus' nearest and dearest friend. That relationship gets really good gas mileage. We don't see him denying Jesus like Peter. We don't see him betraying Jesus like Judas. We don't see him doubting Jesus like Thomas. And John loves Jesus his whole life. He's just forward momentum. In your life, there will be certain relationships that get good gas mileage, certain relationships that get bad gas mileage. And you're a finite human being and you gotta decide where do I put my life energy? So I want you to be discerning in your relationships. And I'm gonna say that there are three ways to view people, okay? Um, John two, here's what Jesus said. How did Jesus view people? Jesus didn't trust them. Okay, lots of people come up, Jesus, we love you. And he doesn't immediately say, I trust all of you. Be my friends, come close. Because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. 
okay? There are three ways to view people, naive. Some of you were raised naive. You're like, just trust everybody, love everybody, start with them right here, not out there, right? Um, I was listening to uh, country music, I've repented, but I was listening to it, and there was a song on by a well-known country artist named Luke Bryan, and he's got a song that is called, uh, the, the chorus is, I believe most people are good. Good. Is that true biblically? No. No, if he was Christian, he'd say, I believe all people are evil, right? <laughs> but those people wouldn't buy the album. So it's, it's, it's really not a good marketing plan. As Christians, the Bible says we're sinners by nature and choice. That means we're selfish by nature and choice. That, believes, that means that unless God does something in us, we're not necessarily safe people, okay? Naive people just assume everybody's good, we're all good. I can trust you, come into my life. And how many of you, you really get hurt? You're like, I'm too trusting, I'm too naive. I, I just start by wearing my heart on my sleeve and giving my heart away. Sometimes then you overreact and you become paranoid because you've been hurt, you've been abandoned, you've been used, you've been abused, you've been traumatized, right? Maybe you're married, okay? Some of you, this is your marriage. You're like, we need to have them over. You're like, I'm sure they're in Al-Qaeda. I think they're a sleeper cell. There's no way we're having them over, right? They're terrorists. They're not terrorists. They lead our life group. <clears throat> That's what, that's what terrorists do when they have sleeper cells. They, they infiltrate churches and pretend to be life group leaders. As for me and my house, we will not surrender. Okay, some of you are a little, I mean, we're in Arizona. It's an open carry state, right? It, I mean, so there are a few of you who are a little paranoid. You're like, I'm not paranoid. I just deal with reality and everybody's evil. You're paranoid, okay? Just so you know, what God doesn't want you to be is naive or paranoid, God wants you to be discerning, okay? And discerning is, well, let me get to know you. Okay, you seem safe and godly and you are dangerous. So this is going to take a little bit of time to get to know you. And the problem is the Bible says repeatedly that man looks at the outward and God looks at the heart. And sometimes you can't see into somebody, you're like, I don't know. Because some people are covert, other people are overt but other people are covert, right? Again, Judas is a guy who's covert. Until the last minute, you don't know that he's one of the bad guys. He's very covert. How do you know what's in someone's heart? Well, ultimately, it is God the Holy Spirit who knows the heart. Knows your heart, knows their heart, can change your heart, could change their heart. How did Jesus know what was in people's hearts? Well, in Isaiah 11:2. The promise and prophecy was given before Jesus went from heaven to earth. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. That's discernment, figuring people and relationships and circumstances out. Uh, the spirit of counsel. We all need counsel, right? Jesus sends the Holy Spirit as our counselor. A good counselor largely deals with relational issues. The Holy Spirit is the counselor, the helper whom Jesus sends to help with our relationships as he helped Jesus with his relationships and might the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. That means healthy relationship with God that leads to healthy relationship with others. So I don't want you to be 
naive. I don't want you to be paranoid. I want you to be discerning. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, first of all, right? The mirror, where's your heart? The binoculars, where's their heart? Seek wise counsel and then have healthy relationships. So we're gonna deal with three kinds of people and six kinds of relationships. And the big concept is going to be very, very controversial. And it is this, you treat different people differently. So we're like, no, Mark, all people are equal. All people are equal, but they're not equally safe. All people are made equal in the image and likeness of God, but they're not equally healthy. We treat different people differently and they determine how we treat them by how they behave. Okay, I'll give it to you. There are three categories, wise, foolish, and evil. We'll deal with them in succession. And if you wanna grow to understand these kinds of people, first for yourself and then for others, just read the book of Proverbs. As you read it, maybe pick one color. And when you see the wise person, highlight it. Pick another color. When you see the foolish person, highlight it. When you see the evil person, highlight it, right? Maybe even the wise person, green. The evil person, red. The foolish person, yellow. And just think, you know, my life needs a traffic light on it. And those are how I do my relationships. Come on in, hit the brakes, go slow, okay? Here is one occasion in Proverbs where it mentions all three. Do not be envious of evil men. Are there people that are evil? Yes, you need to have that category because the Bible has it. Okay, nor desire to be with them for their hearts devise violence, right? At the core of their being, they're plotting harm. They're dangerous and their lips talk of trouble. When you're around these people, you're like, I don't like this conversation. I don't like where it's going. I don't feel safe here. I don't wanna be a part of this. This is not right. He then moves over a wise man. Some people are wise is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might for by wise guidance, you can wage your war and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. A wise person, first of all, seeks counsel. They're teachable. They're looking for wise counsel. As a result, they're confident of God's will and there's a strength about them. Some people are wise and then some people are foolish. Um, wisdom is too high for a fool and the gate he does not open his mouth. So let's look at all three of these, evil people, foolish people, wise people. And again, mirror before binoculars, yourself before them, okay? First, let's deal with the evil people. Here's just one of many examples in the Bible. The Bible will also refer to these people as the wicked, right? It uses very strong language. Proverbs 2, 12 through 15, wisdom will what? Save you. You know what? Evil people, you need to be rescued, delivered from, right? Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. Everything they say is not quite right. These men turn from the right way and they walk down dark paths. You're like, I, look, where you're going, I can't go there. That's not right. That's just not right. They take what in doing wrong? Your pain is their pleasure. Your pain is their pleasure. Hurting you makes them happy. 
They take pleasure in doing wrong and they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions are crooked and their ways are wrong. We live in a day that basically says, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And there is no such thing as right and wrong and black and white. And God says, that is an evil and foolish way to live and wise people know better. Now this comes out of chapter seven from a book by Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. And I'm building upon some of his concepts and Grace and I got to thank him personally. And, and if, if you're looking for a good book, it is, it is helpful. Let me say some things about evil people. They're intentionally dangerous. It's not like they accidentally hurt you. They intentionally plotted against you. Sometimes in their past, they have been hurt or wounded or used or abused. So they see themselves as a victim and there is some justification, but they've not healed up. And as a result, they see themselves as righteous in doing harm. These are people that have been harmed and rather than healing, they harm. These are people that sometimes experience demonic torment and they torment others. They can't let it go, they stalk you, they harass you, they harm you. Sometimes these people are very controlling, very demanding, very domineering. These are the kind of people that you're scared of. You're like, if they call, you're like, Ugh. Okay, I don't wanna to talk to them, I'm anxious, but if I don't answer, they're gonna be mad at me and I don't know what's gonna happen. So if I answer the phone, they could hurt me. If I don't answer the phone, they're gonna be angry and hurt me, ah! Some of you are like, I used to go there, I don't go there anymore because I'm just scared to see them. It's protection. They work through fear and punishment. You do what I say or you get hurt. There's fear and punishment that's involved and what happens is with them, it's a win-lose relationship. Who wins? They win, who loses? You lose. See, Jesus is wise and in that relationship, he loses so that we might win. That's why we can love and trust him, right? But with evil people, they win, you lose. They win, you lose. What I'm gonna tell you is that evil people live by demonic forces Foolish people live by the power of the flesh and wise people live by the power of the spirit, okay? With evil people who live by the power of demonic forces, I'm gonna argue you need a professional relationship. With people who are foolish and live by the flesh, you need a pastoral relationship. With people who are wise and live by the power of the spirit, you can have a personal relationship, okay? So I teach our pastors here and our leaders, you can have personal, pastoral, and professional relationships. What a professional relationship is with an evil person is you get the professionals involved. I'm gonna call the cops because this is a crime, right? I'm going to get a restraining order because you don't respect my boundaries and you are dangerous, okay? At this point, we are done and I'm going to protect myself, my family, my income, my business, whatever it is from you, you're dangerous. It's a professional relationship. And what this means is these people are not beyond help, but they're beyond your help, right? You abuse children, you need help. I don't think I'm the one to help you, okay? I, I don't think I'm the one to help you. You need professional help. You need professional boundaries. This hit me like a torpedo as a young pastor. Um, I was in my 20s. I've been a senior pastor for more than 20 years. 
And I knew that some people were evil, but once you are in ministry for a little while, you start getting a front row seat. I will never forget the day. It hit me like a torpedo. There was a couple that was having some struggle. They were married, had a couple of little kids. This was decades ago. And I finally got the couple to sit down. The woman was, she was struggling with depression. She was, she was not doing well. That kind of gal every week comes up for prayer and is just a very emotionally broken and, and doesn't really disclose anything. So you don't know what's going on. So I thought, well, I'm gonna meet with her and her husband. So we sat down and they surprisingly came in. And I said, how's your relationship? She said, it's, it's not very good. I said, well, what, what is the problem? And she said, well, you know, I, I don't wanna speak evil of my husband. I said, well, just give me an example. She said, no, 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 I don't wanna make him angry. He's sitting there. I'm thinking, okay, I'm seeing where this is going. He's like a grenade with a pin pulled and she's afraid. She said, well, just sometimes I, I just don't feel very respected by him. And I said, well, you're talking very vague. Can you give me an example? And she finally did, it was very courageous of her. She said, well, if I or the kids defy him or disobey him or, or he's angry with us, he takes the dog dish and he puts it in front of us at the dinner table and he scrapes our dinner into it and we have to eat dinner out of the dog dish that night. I looked at him, I said, do you do this to your wife? In front of your kids? He said, well, if, if she needs to learn her lesson, I said, you, you do this to your children at the dinner table? This man claimed to be a Christian. I said, the dinner table is supposed to be practiced for heaven, not hell. It is supposed to be an outpost of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of darkness. I looked at this man and I just said, you are evil. Somebody's gotta be the umpire and call this. And he disagreed, he said, I disagree. I said, evil people do. Evil people, I said, you are evil. You need professional help. There is something broken in your soul. You are an evil man. I told her, I said, he needs to get professional help. You guys need to get some distance. I said, I, I don't know if there's a future. There is no future if he does not change. Those children were traumatized the most anxious moment of their day was dinner with their family. Every night, these little kids had tremendous anxiety, like, am I gonna get the dog dish tonight? That's evil. That's evil. That's evil. Some people, tragically, they're evil. Jesus had a guy who was evil. His name was Judas. And what he told him was, we're done. You go do what you're gonna do but I'm not going with you. Secondly, foolish people. How do you know you're foolish? Well, you think you're wise. That's how you know you're foolish. Anybody who comes to you and says, yeah, I heard that sermon about wise, foolish, and evil. And that wise thing, oh, that sounded so familiar. Okay, then move over, scoot to the left, you're foolish, okay? With foolishness, the truth is, we all have parts of our life that are foolish. And we all have parts of our life where we are prone to evil. And there are seasons of our life or moments in our life where we do foolish things. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools don't like to learn and they don't like to change, okay? Proverbs 26.3, guide a horse with a whip 
a donkey with a bridle and a fool with a rod to his back. What it's saying here is that fools are only motivated by pain, right? They're like, they don't get a job until they're evicted from their house. They're like, I gotta get a job. Yeah, this was not a ninja that snuck up on you out of nowhere. Every month they sent you a statement saying that you were going to be evicted, okay? This is the person who says, you know, our relationship is fine until their spouse packs up and leaves. And they're like, okay, it hurts. Now I'll go to counseling. A little bit about foolish people. They're not less intelligent or less educated. You can be very smart and highly educated and still foolish. There are people that have a high IQ and a great education and degree, and they just can't figure out life. They're irresponsible, they're unteachable, and they usually have an excuse. Hey, you need to do that. Well, I got a reason. Well, you don't need a reason, you need a solution. They deny reality and they don't learn from failure. You're saying, you know what, this isn't going well, it's gonna be fine. No, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not going well, it's gonna be okay. No, if you keep doing that, you're gonna be addicted. No, I'll be fine. No, you're not. If you don't change your lifestyle, you're gonna be very unhealthy. No, I'm not. I talked to one guy, I mean, this was years ago, but I said, uh, if you keep spending more than you make, you're gonna be in crisis. He's like, I believe in the Lord. I said, I believe in the Lord and math, okay? So <laughs> I believe in both the Lord and math. And math would tell me that if you spend more than you make, it doesn't end well for you, amen? And you can't just say, I believe in the Lord. And the Lord's like, you need to believe in math, okay? What happens as well with foolish people, they're selfish. They, they only think of themselves and they're shifting and transferring their burdens to other people and they're oblivious to it. Evil people intentionally cause harm. Foolish people aren't even thinking about you. It's unintentional, but it's still painful. Foolish people are burden givers, not burden lifters. These are the people that every time you talk to them, it's like they're backing up their truck. Boop, 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 boop. And you're like, oh, how did I get all this? Now I've got all these things to do. Now you're taking my money, my time, my energy. And then they're driving away saying, you're such a good friend. You're like, no, I'm the dump. I'm the dump. And you back up and you dump it all on me. It's it's funny, right? I mean, for some of you, and you're, some of you are like, it is not funny, okay? <laughs> Foolish people are life-draining. They're not life-giving. They're not life-giving. They're life-draining. They may be fun, but they're not respected. Foolish people are really fun because they, they don't think about reality or consequences. You're like, you wanna quit your job and go to Vegas and be a clown? I do. I mean, they'll do it. They'll do anything. How many of you had that guy in high school? He'd do anything for a buck. I'll give you a buck to eat your shoe. He's like, a whole dollar? They do any, they're fun. They have no cause effect. No, boop, they're always ready to go. And they think they're popular. They think that they're leaders. They're not, they're just fun. People enjoy them, but they don't respect them. That's a foolish person. What do you do with a foolish person? Well, they live by the power of the flesh. So you have a pastoral relationship, which means boundaries. Um, you can't call me at 3 a.m. drunk. You can't do that. No. You can't live at my house. You've got to go get your own house. Right? You cannot come over to my house and eat all my food. you got to figure out where to get you some food. That's on you. How many of you, I just explained your adult child. 
just an observation, okay? Now, let me say this. The myth of foolishness is that you can just live in a foolish state. Let me tell you what happens. Gravity drags you eventually toward evil. Eventually toward evil. This is the person who's like, I'm gonna drink or party or do drugs. It'll be fine. Then you get an addiction. Now you need money to feed your addiction. What do you start doing? Stealing from people. You move from foolish to evil because eventually foolish people run out of resources, so they have to go get them somewhere else, okay? So if some of you have been in a foolish state or position for a season, I need you to pivot toward wisdom because gravity will pull you toward evil. Jesus, again, one of his disciples, Peter, was a guy who had a lot of foolishness. But eventually he pivoted toward wisdom. Eventually pivoted toward wisdom. How about this one, um, wise people? We'll try to encourage you a little bit. Right now you're all like, gosh, this guy is a bummer. He's just a bummer. I heard he said crazy things and was fun. Maybe that's over. No, we'll talk about wise people, okay? I wanna give you hope, but the key is, again, mirror than binoculars. You gotta look at yourself and say, okay, if I had to pick one predominant category for me today, would I be evil, foolish, or wise? Wise. Proverbs 9, 8 and 9, correct the wise. Can you correct a foolish person? They argue with you. I disagree, I think you're wrong. Who are you to judge me? It's your fault, blame shift, truth the messenger. Evil person, they're like, I'm here to correct you. They're like, I'm not looking to change. Correct the wise and they will love you. Hey, I was wrong, you wanna help me? Cool, okay, great, thank you. That builds our relationship. Instruct the wise, they're teachable and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Again, no one is wise in every area. No one is wise in every moment. Wise people are not necessarily the most intelligent or the most educated, but they're humble and they're teachable. They know that life is a classroom. Every day there is a lesson to be learned and they wanna learn and grow. They're self-motivated. They're asking questions. They're inviting wise people to help them. They um, embrace reality. They have empathy for others. Oh, I hurt you. I shifted my burden over to you. I, gosh, okay, thank you. I need to see that. Thank you. That helps me. They embrace responsibility. They follow through on tasks. That's why you give a foolish person assignments. And until they complete the assignment, you don't move forward. A wise person will finish the assignments that they are given. They have a pattern of owning their failures, saying, I'm sorry, changing, repenting. Healthy conflict and correction grows the relationship. And if you look at the life of a wise person, they're not perfect, but you see progress. Maybe they were here, but they're moving this direction. They're moving toward Christ-like character because they live by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can have a close, intimate, personal relationship with those who are wise. Let me give you an example. Um, there is a man that I met many years ago, and he is one of the wisest men that I believe I have ever met. And he got saved later in life. So he was not a Christian. And then he got sort of radically saved. And this guy had been through relational pain, financial pain, and he started with nothing, no money. I don't think he has a college education, no experience. And over time, he's become an incredibly successful business leader, 
I believe he's very wise, very godly. He's got an awesome wife. They're, they're generous toward the cause of Christ. Just has a lot of wise counsel to offer. And so I met him some years ago and I just decided I'm gonna meet with him and just ask him, how do you get from here to here, right? Because I see progress and I want you to be encouraged looking at your life, what progress have you been made? Because the truth is sometimes we judge ourselves or we judge others by where we're at. You need to look at where you started. Right? Some of you, you're first generation Christians. Some of you, you have abuse or trauma or abandonment in your background. You've made progress, be encouraged, build on that. So I asked this guy, how do you get from here to here? So I met with him and the first, he, he was super practical. So let me make this really practical. He said, uh, he said, my plan has always been the same and I'm summarizing. He said, when I meet somebody who's got wisdom in an area of life, I pray about meeting with them. And if I feel like, Maybe the Lord would want that. I ask them, can I meet with you? And I schedule a meeting. And he said, I show up early. I wanna honor their time. At the beginning of the meeting, I ask them, how much time do you have? Because I wanna respect that. And he said, I always carry with me a notebook. And he said, what I do? He said, I feel like, you know, the world is a classroom and school's always in session. He said, if I see something or I learn something, he said, I write it down. And I have categories for family, for finances, for health, for the Lord. And he said, I, I make notes and then I collect all of those and I journal that out and I'm always looking to learn. He's naturally teachable and curious. He said, so when I meet with somebody, I will prayerfully consider questions and I'll write those questions down. And when we sit down, I'll ask them the questions. And he said, I let them do most of the talking. And then when they say something, I write it down and if I think it's a good action item, I make a commitment to them that I'm gonna go do it. And then I asked them at the end of the meeting, is there anything else you wanna share? And I pray for them and I thank them. And he said, then I asked them, if I go do these things and I have more questions later, would you be willing to meet with me again? He said, I've been doing that for decades. Everything I know, that's how I learned it. I said, oh. I said, how does it work for you? He said, if somebody shows up late, that's a problem. If they wait till it's a crisis and run into my life rather than respecting my time, that's a problem. He said, if I meet with them and they're, they're on their phone, that's a problem. If they don't write anything down, that's a problem. And he said, if I give them an assignment and they don't do it, that's a problem. I said, do you meet with those people? He said, not twice. Not twice. I said, that's wisdom. You're looking for investments. So he was humble, he was teachable, and he had a plan. So ever since that time, not saying I'm wise, I'm just saying I've always carried a notebook. And when I meet somebody, it's like, can I ask you some questions and write it down? And so this is my notebook. And in it, I have categories for my family. I have categories for Bible teaching. I have categories for our church. Um, before we planted the Trinity Church, I literally started asking some of the people that I respected the most in the nation, would you give me an hour of your time? And I would get on a plane and I would fly to another state if they would give me an hour to answer a few questions. I'm just trying to figure it out because I know that I don't know all that I need to know. And let me say this, I wanna blow up something that I call the mentor myth. The mentor myth is this, if I could just find that one person who would disciple me, then I would know everything that I need to know. That person on the earth today does not exist. Everyone has wisdom in certain areas, but not all areas. 
So maybe this person is really good with money, but they're not really good with their health. Or this person's really good with their spouse or really good with their kids or really good with their Bible. And so what you need is you need to blow up the mentor myth that there is one person and you need to have instead a, a team of people. The Bible calls these a multitude of counselors. The Bible says, I just read it to you a minute ago, that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, which means, okay, if it's health, I'll talk to them. If it's money, I'll talk to them. If it's marriage, I'll talk to them. If it's parenting, I'll talk to them. If it's theology or Bible, I talk to them. And I will prayerfully consider my questions. I will write them down. If they give me something to do, I will do it. And then if I ask, they will meet with me again. This is how people who are wise grow in wisdom. Correct the wise, they will love you. Instruct the wise, they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous and they will learn even more. Okay, three kinds of people, six kinds of relationships. Here they are. Wise plus foolish, parental relationship. Wise plus evil, distant relationship. Foolish plus foolish, codependent relationship. Foolish plus evil, abusive relationship. Evil plus evil, dangerous relationship. Wise plus wise, healthy relationship. I'll run through those quickly. Uh, let me uh, see the next slide, please. Wise plus foolish equals parental relationship. This is where somebody is an adult, but they act like a child, so you act like a parent. Got very quiet. <laughs> Worst I ever saw, young pastor, went to somebody's house for dinner. It was a weird family dynamic. Husband, wife, a few little kids. I go up to the fridge and there's a chore chart, all the kids' names, gold stars, and their allowance, including the husband. <laughs> I was like, rut row, what? I was like, what's this? Wife's like, that's the chore chart. And if they get the gold star, then at the end of the week, they get their allowance. I was like, is that your husband on there? <laughs> like, you know, he's a grown man. Like, she's like, well, he wasn't helping out. And so I put him on the chart. And uh, if, he's, if he does his chores, he gets his allowance. And if not, he doesn't. I was thinking, well, this is obviously an amorous relationship. A lot of affection flowing here, right? He was acting like a child, so she acted like the mother. How many of you ladies, you try, no, don't raise your hand. <laughs> that would be foolish. Husband thinks it's evil, but it's just foolish. Okay, so how many, how many of you, you've tried to have that relationship with your husband, but then eventually you're not attracted to him? All right, just something to pray about. All right, next one. Uh, wise plus evil is distant relationship. They're evil, you're wise. They're like, Oh, uh, hey, let's talk, let's not. Hey, I know we were engaged and I cheated on you, but you know, let's try again. No, 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 I'm good. In fact, I'm better. Right? You maintain the distance. Wise plus evil equals distant because an evil person will keep trying to close the gap and a wise person keeps the boundary. Third one, foolish and foolish is a codependent relationship. <laughs> That's probably my favorite, amen? They're fun, but they're not very efficient or respectable, right? Some of you are like, we have such a good relationship. Like we drink together, we gamble together, we smoke weed together, we play Fortnite together. You're 40, you're 40. And your mom is tired of you taking all the internet, okay? So right, just something to pray about, little healing in your family right now, okay? And, and, and foolish people, they have a lot of fun together, but they don't grow in wisdom together. 
it's a codependent enabling relationship. How about this one? Uh, foolish and evil people, this is an abusive relationship, okay? This is where the person who is foolish, they're just trying to please the person who is evil. I don't know why they're so angry at me. I don't know why they're mean to me. I, I don't, what's wrong with me? Okay, mirror, binoculars. You've looked in the mirror, look in the binoculars. Maybe they're evil. Maybe they're evil. These are the people that hurt you. And you're like, you hurt me. And they're like, yeah, if you wouldn't have made me angry, I wouldn't have had to do it. It's your fault. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made you angry. Evil people, they play foolish people like marionettes. Right? These are abusive, harmful, dangerous, deadly relationships. And for you single people, sometimes, especially you ladies, let me just speak with a father's affection. Sometimes this starts in a dating relationship and it only gets worse the longer you're together. How about this one? Um, two evil people is a dangerous relationship. Who's that? Bonnie and Clyde, right? These are like two barrels on a gun. And sometimes what causes what I'll call an unholy alliance, two people share a common enemy. You wanna shoot them, I wanna shoot them. Let's come together like two barrels on a gun and let's shoot them. That's two evil people. That is a dangerous relationship. Some people form unholy alliances and these are very dangerous people. If you become friends with them, you're in harm's way. If you do business with them, you are in harm's way, right? It's like they multiply evil. And then lastly, I'll end with a little bit of encouragement. The wise and the wise, they can have a, a healthy relationship, okay? This is what we want for you. And I'm not saying I'm wise. Right? Anybody who's wise can only say, I'm pursuing wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. They can never say, I've arrived. It's like when Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You never say, nailed it. You say, I'm working on it, okay? Wisdom is something that we're always working on and we're always walking in and that's what the wise do. The wise never stop pursuing. They never stop walking toward wisdom. They know it's a lifelong endeavor. But Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. It's important to pick good friends. It's important for you to help your kids pick good friends because those who walk with the wise become wise. And the Bible says a companion of fools suffers harm. So I'm gonna invite the band up at this point. We're gonna collect our tithes and offerings at this point. We're gonna prepare to take communion at this point, but keep listening to me. Wouldn't it be great if there was a friend who would walk with you? Wouldn't it be great if there was a friend who would walk to you even when you're doing evil? Let me ask you this. Is there a friend who walks to those who are doing evil? Yes, his name is Jesus. See, Jesus pursues evil people and Jesus comes to the earth literally pursuing relationships with foolish and evil people. So as we're preparing to respond, I want you to first ask, have I taken that first step of faith in relationship with Jesus? If you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm evil. Jesus comes to live a perfect wise life and to die in your place for your sins, to reconcile your relationship with God and to pour the spirit of wisdom into you to transfer you from the inside out. That's good news, amen? So if you are evil, let me just tell you this, you don't have to be evil, Jesus can change you. For those of you who come here today and say, foolishness is in my life. 
Wouldn't it be great if we had a friend who would come and take our hand and say, this is foolish, let's walk away from it. I'll walk with you, you're not alone. Is there a friend who walks with foolish people and walks them away from their folly, yes or no? Yes, his name is Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if there was a friend that could have a perfect relationship with us so that our deepest relational needs were met? That would be amazing. Oh, good news, his name is Jesus. In addition, wouldn't it be great if we had a healthy, perfect relationship as the template for what healthy relationships are? There is, that's a relationship with a guy I know, his name is? Jesus. So what we're going to do today, we're going to give our tithes and offerings. We're going to partake of communion. We're going to sing songs and we're each going to just determine, Lord, what is my next step? If walking with the wise causes me to be wise, I want to walk with the Lord Jesus in wisdom. What is the next step for you? Amen. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing. Father God, thank you so much that there is the possibility of forgiveness, that there is the possibility of evil people becoming forgiven people, for foolish people to become wise people, for broken people to become healthy people, for lonely people to be loved people. And Lord Jesus, you are the friend that we need. You are the friend that we need to walk toward us. You are the friend that we need to walk with us. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you you right now to bring the presence of Jesus so that we can enjoy this friendship with Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please join us at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. You can also watch Pastor Mark live on Sundays, YouTube, Facebook, the app, or at markdriscoll.org. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus.